<laughs> hey! <Yeah>. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. That's good. Thank you. So, everyone has a little box of their shit that they've accumulated over their life. And they put it in the closet. And they forget about it. They move. They unpack. Maybe a large event happens in their life and they add something to it. I've been adding to mine for 40 years. I have kind of a unique situation where because of what happened with my mom getting sick and me having to go through her house and basically dismantle it and pack shit up. I acquired my mom's personal box, which is really fucking weird to look back on stuff that your mom kept. Not just about you, but stuff that your mom kept about her life. Especially when your mom goes through a lot of the shit that my mom went through. So, I've been going through my room. I'm really big on, you know, I buy a lot of shit. I buy a lot of electronics. I I try to live minimal. Not minimalistic, but as minimal as I can for my tastes. I used to collect a bunch of stupid shit especially from GameStop and conventions and stuff where you just buy dumbass little trinkets or collector's edition plastic statues. And I went through maybe about five years ago and just sold all that shit. Uh, You know, like the Gears of War statue, the Halo helmet, all that stuff, the Skyrim dragon. I know that all y'all own that shit and you probably still have it. I just got like a big distaste for that. It's not a piece of art. It's not a collectible. It's like a mass produced item. So I sold a bunch of that shit on eBay. I got rid of it all. I went through a bunch of my personal shit of stuff and I kind of wish I didn't, but after 40 years of being a sentimental collective person. I just had too much shit. I went through and got rid of a bunch of my shit that maybe at 40, I had kind of decided I don't need this anymore. I don't need a reminder of every minor event in my life, but I held on to stuff that still seemed to have some relevance. And after that, I had to go through my mom's house and get rid of some of that shit. And I parted a lot of it out to the family, but I also kept a lot of it for myself. And I added my box of stuff to her box of stuff. And now it's like a communal box of stuff along with stuff that you just have to save. You know, there's certain papers that once you are in possession of them, you just can't really get rid of them because of the amount of effort that it would take to retrieve them. 
if you ever happen to need them in the future. So I have this box of shit. I've been going through my room lately, like most of you know, especially if you listen to the podcast. I live in a room, so I don't have a lot of extra space for extra shit. I've accumulated stuff, so I'm getting rid of it. I found that the easiest way to minimize shit is to pack shit that, well, first thing to do is get rid of shit that you don't need. But after you've gotten rid of shit that you don't need, if there's stuff that you do want to keep, but you don't use it too often, I try to combine all that stuff into like one big tote, one big box where this is the shit that I need, but I don't ever need to look at it. I don't ever need to see it. So it just goes in here. I add stuff to this box often, but I almost never look through it. And like I said, the last time that I went through it was five years ago, maybe longer. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through it. And I tried to do this as blind as possible, but I also didn't want it to be just, let me pick out a piece of paper and read it or talk about it. So I went through this shit really quick and tried to put it in chronological order. So we're going to start at the beginning and just kind of go through this shit, but I didn't want to, go through it and then just you know read it to you or explain it to you because I, I hope some of this is a reminder or a surprise to me as we do it not just me you know telling a story we're doing it together so this first box is mostly my mom's shit but as I'm opening it up, it looks like it's a combined box of maybe my mom's and my dad's or just some sort of shared. I mean, I don't know with, with the way that the house was gone through and people like picking shit out and looking through old pictures and stuff. This box has just got a lot of old shit in it. Um, so there's some newspaper clippings and this is just clipped out. So there's no, there's no date on the article, um, but it's about Colonel Cooper still riding cattle herd at age 90. And I don't know shit about Colonel Cooper or his cattle. Uh, an outstanding cattleman, cowboy, and auctioneer, Colonel Cooper celebrated his 90th birthday Thursday. He's a colorful part, a colorful part of the sail ring legend with a sing song cry of the auctioneer moves buyers to raise their bids and reach for their wallets. Cooper was prevented of presented a plaque in recognition for founding the Cooper livestock auction in 1935. The Colonel runs his own herd of 140 black Angus cattle, fixes fence and rides horseback on his 5,000 acre ranch, six miles South of Avondale. 
kind of hard to believe I'd be related to this dude. Cooper came to Colorado from Kansas in 1911 by covered wagon, pulled by a team of mules. It took he and his family three weeks to travel from Wichita to the Wilson country where they first stopped. So I'm guessing this is my... Well, this is going to get... This is going to get really complicated as I go through this shit. I'm guessing this is my... Granddad's dad. This is my great... Granddad. And it just looks like some shit about how he's... Just got presented a plaque because he was an awesome... Cowboy. Oh, here at the end... Uh, 21 grandchildren and 41 great-grandchildren. So you would think, well, Sean, you always talk about how you don't have any family. I mean, must have some out there. But also, keep in mind, his 21 grandkids and his 41 great-grandkids, they're not my family. You know, I, my, my granddad, my dad that raised me is not my dad biologically no uh no insult meant it definitely shows that i'm not related to this dude i don't want any cattle i don't want any horses if i had cattle i'd just sell their skins uh, let's see we got another newspaper clipping this is about my mom's again Yep, my fucking shit. It feels wrong to call my mom my grandma. But it's going to get complicated if I don't. This is just a newspaper clipping about my mom's sister winning $1,000 in a lottery at Woolworths. I don't know why you would save $1,000 back whenever this was. was probably a decent amount of money. But again, there's it's just a cutout, so there's no date on it. And I got a laminated newspaper clipping. It looks like my great-granddad from the newspaper clipping. It looks like his obituary. I died on my birthday, 1976. And then survived by, yeah, and then my dad's name. Is in there, Jesse Cooper, Columbia, South Carolina. Born August 3rd, 1906, in Pueblo, resident for 60 years. I never met, I mean, obviously, he was dead before I was even born, but I also never really met any of my dad's family to have that many siblings. I met his sister once. And that's, I mean, as far as it was what I remember, that's it. That's all I remember. I met his sister once. Then there's a, there's a whole bunch of anniversary, Valentine's, Christmas cards. Um, one of them says to my girlfriend. So it must have been like way back. And then there's one from my mom to my dad. And she wrote in the bottom of it, to my future husband. And then there's one, happy birthday, love forever. 
from my dad. And, I mean, I'm sure you can guess where that's going if you've listened to any of these podcasts. A whole stack of, you know, forevers, forevers, forevers. And they fucking hated each other. So, here we go. Certificate of Merit Science Fair 1968. This certifies that Kevin Cooper, that's my biological father, who is attending Jefferson Primary School, is recognized for outstanding achievement in preparing a science exhibit entitled Bread and Butter. So, good job, Dad. Knock that one out of the park. And then here's, we would like to introduce Kevin Neal, born on January 25th, 1961, brown hair, blue eyes, and weighs 13 pounds. Isn't that a lot? Is 13 pounds a lot for a baby? Isn't that like an extreme amount? I don't really know shit about babies. Well, that's, that's the contents of the first box. The rest of this shit is mostly just more centered around me, but I thought that was kind of cool. Other, you know, you haven't heard the last of the relationship between my parents. So first thing, like I said, chronological birth certificate. Sean Neil Cooper, January 14th, 1981, West Columbia, South Carolina. Mother's name, Don Lynn Fox. Mother's place of birth was Connecticut. Kind of weird. Maybe I'm related to some of y'all out there listening. Uh, Kevin Neal Cooper, father, birthplace in Ohio. And then at the bottom of this birth certificate, it has a place for special instructions. It's blank, so no special instructions regarding my birth. I guess that's good news. All right, so this one I remember. This is a calendar with spaces that you can fill out for each day. And I remember finding this at my mom's house, I don't know, five years ago now or so. And this has notes that my grandmother took on every single specific day about my mom and my dad. And there are some interesting little points here that kind of lead to other things down the road. So Thursday, September 2nd, 1982. Let me make sure I got the year right. Yeah, 1982. So I'm... Almost two years old. Wait. No, fuck no. I'm almost one. I'm not even one yet. I'm like... Wait, this is confusing. This really isn't that confusing. But for some reason, I was confused. So this is September 82. I was born in January 81. So yeah. I'm not quite two yet. Uh, Thursday, September 2nd. Kevin called... Don had left him while he was at work. She is pregnant with Randy's child. He was broke and upset. I could just stop this whole podcast right here because this is going to sum up everything you're going to hear about my family and my my upbringing. Friday, September 3rd, 
Don called, wanted to know if we were sending Kevin bus fare to come home. Said she was six months pregnant and was going to get welfare. She left town later and nobody knew her destination. Sunday, September 5th, Kevin called, still looking for Don. Tuesday, September 7th, Kevin called in the evening, said he was going to return Columbia and turn himself in. Turn himself in for what? I don't know. Something. I mean, not something good. Wednesday, September 8th, Kevin arrived in Columbia and stayed with Deborah. I believe Deborah is my mom's sister. Not the one that won the raffle at Woolworths in England, but the one that lives in a dirt trailer with a dirt yard on a dirt road. Uh, Thursday, September 9th, Detective Wright called and said Kevin was okay. Kevin called at about 4 p.m. He was in Lexington City Jail for the bad checks. Okay, check fraud. Cool. September 13th, Kevin called. Still at Lexington County Jail. Goes to court on October 1st. Nelson in with him for driving while under suspension. Don's still missing. Kevin said they have about eight checks against them. Back in the day, people used to pay for things with pieces of paper that they wrote their name on. And the piece of paper meant that they had money in the bank and this guaranteed that they were good for it. But you could walk into anywhere and just write a check for any amount of money. And they didn't have those little scanners that they have now where it runs it through the machine and verifies it. You could just write a check. People would just take it from you. Seems like a really horrible idea. But this was also 40 years ago. Monday, September 20th, and Dawn called. I told her Kevin was going to charge her with forgery. She wouldn't say where she was. So it looks like Kevin's trying to pass the buck onto his girlfriend. We got some empty dates. Saturday, October 9th, Dawn called. She wanted to talk to Sean. We told her to get an officer of the court appointed and told her to call Richard Tuning. We believe her to be in North Carolina. She said she was coming back to Columbia when the baby is born. October 13th, Kevin got a letter from Dawn with the Columbia postmark. Junior, I don't know who the fuck Junior is, came to the house, said he didn't know where Dawn was. Uh, Saturday, October 16th, I don't know who the Richard Tuning guy is. Sounds like some sort of social worker tuning said to see him Monday I'm guessing Don uh, came back with the detective we didn't let her visit then October 28th Don said she had spoken with Mr. Tuning and said she had no visitation rights any longer asked if she's on we said only with Mr. Tuning's okay and with court appointed, court appointed. I don't know what this word says. Escort. October 31st, Don wanted to see Sean. We said no. The first, Don came for the rest of her belongings. And then November 6th, no word from Don. November 13th, no word from Don. November 20th, no word from Don. November 22nd, Kevin called and said Don was in Missouri. He had a letter from her. 
cool. December 18th, Don called and wanted to see Sean at Christmas. We said yes to Christmas Eve or the day after. Christmas Eve, Don called at about 4 and was supposed to call back at 6 but didn't call. Christmas Day, Don called at around 4, said she had no gas and couldn't come. Wanted to come next weekend. We said yes. January 1st, no word from Don until Sean's birthday when she came with some Christmas presents. No word again until February 20th when she asked to come see Sean as she was going away. She came again on February 22nd and brought two outfits going to Connecticut. Morgan, we could be brothers, except you know who your mom is, right? So maybe not. Maybe we're not brothers. We could be related. It's about the right timing. Holy shit. I'm not going to go through all this, but I mean, you're getting the point, right? Um, uh, drove over. This is my dad's handwriting in here, and my dad's handwriting is 10 times worse than mine, and he writes in cursive. But drove over to Randy's trailer. No one there. Ask neighbors. Uh, Pat told Don to see about a job. No word. Fucking dad, you gotta, you gotta write. Okay, here's my mom. She's writing again. Smoke. I spoke. I smoked. I spoke with Mr. Prince. He has washed his hands of the Fox family. Doesn't have faith in Don progressing. Said no lawsuit as Miss Fox would send Don to Connecticut. Said to give her rope to hang herself. Randy is lazy. I don't know who Randy. I think Randy is the dad of the other kid because I have at least. Well, I have at least two half brothers that I know about. Um. Don called in tears. Sean seemed hesitant of men. What the fuck does that mean? Sean seemed hesitant of men. All right, moving on. Am I hesitant of men still? Don and Sean stayed home. Uh, phone call and PM from unidentified male. She got up from bed and returned call. I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm not doing well. I'm sick. Still not doing well. Dismissed from hospital. I was in the hospital. Okay. So I guess my, the, my mom was living with my mom. And there's just all these notes in here about how she was supposed to be staying at the house, but she kept going out at night. And asking my parents to watch me. Some more stuff about me being sick. She got a job and she was working. Working. 
remember there being like something relatively interesting in here. I'm not trying to read you fucking four months of my mom's notes. And there's a bunch of shit where I stayed with my mom's sister and I stayed with my mom's sister. Something about a court hearing. Saw Don at gas station. What the fuck was that? Jesus. Saw Sean at gas station. She had been suspended from her job for one week. Took her to the house to get some of her clothes. She said she would call in the evening. Didn't call. And then there's a bunch of shit in here. And she says that she wants to see me. And she says that she wants to see me. And then she doesn't show up. And then she got fired. And then here, uh, February 26th, Kevin moved out. Jess and I to ballet. So my parents went out together. This was 1982, so maybe things hadn't gotten so bad yet. Dawn called the house and harassed the babysitter. I wish there was more detail about there, about that. Like, harassed. And then, uh, Saturday, March 13th, Dawn left for North Carolina. Uh, no word, no word. <coughs> Dawn returned. Dawn wanted Sean for the night. We refused. We refused, and this goes on for, like, a fucking week. Dawn wanted her mother to pick Sean up. See, this is the weird shit, because, like, her mother? Like, I don't, who the fuck is her mother? Like, I have grandparents that just wanted nothing to do with me. Like, I get that maybe my mom was shitty, and my mom took off. But what the fuck is going on with my mom's parents? Where did they go? Where the fuck are they now? Uh, April 1st, Kevin and Don moved in together at Don's mother's trailer. Jess took, Jess took Sean to Kevin and Don's to visit them at 9 a.m. Kevin is drinking a beer. <laughs> 9 a.m. No word, no word. Wanted to come pick up Sean at 10 a.m. Came at 1.30. Said Kevin had been asleep. No word, no word. Kevin asked for Sean to spend the night. They have several people living with them, so just refused. Didn't see Sean all weekend. And then pages more of no word, no word, no word. I'm going to, I'm going to fast forward through this. Because this goes somewhere. There's a story here. June 5th, still like no word from either one of them. Then it says I had pneumonia. I don't remember that, but I was two and a half. A bunch of shit about them wanting to come pick me up and then not showing up. No word. 
Kevin arrested for driving without license and without insurance and without a registration. Don said Kevin hit her. We had asked them to come to the beach with us. They would not let Sean go to Kevin and Don's because of tension and arguing. Thursday, July 8th, Debbie came and warned us of Kevin and Don's plans to leave town with Sean. She told us Don pregnant. Saturday, July 10th, Don called at around midnight asking us to go to trailer to get stroller and clothes. And maybe that's it. July 27th, Don called wanting to know if we were going to seek permanent custody of Sean. And then uh, Deborah, Saturday, August 28th, Deborah and Don wanted Sean for the day. We were suspicious and said no. They later left town. We later learned from Kevin. They went to Florida. Thursday, September 2nd. Don telephoned and spoke to Sean. Said she and Kevin were okay. Hope to come home at Christmas or Sean's birthday. That's in August. They hope to come home for Christmas. Kevin called, said Don left him while he was at work. She was pregnant with Randy's child. Yeah, we've been there. Oh, motherfucker. I started the book halfway through. Because we just went kind of like memento style back through it. But I'm not reading that shit again. God, that's a way too fucking long. So then I've got a state of South Carolina family judicial court. This transfer of custody shall be a continuing nature until such time as Kevin Neal Cooper and Don Marie Fox. On the other piece of paper, it said Don Lynn Fox. So shit's kind of fucked up. Can once again properly care for our son and witness whereof... We have set our hands and seals on this day, 1981. Well, the dates on this stuff don't really... I mean, I'm sure that shit isn't easy to do. To acquire custody of a child. But it looks like they were fighting for it for a while. This is probably why she was keeping all these dates so she could kind of use it in court. Then I got, I'm not going to read this because it's a little personal. There's November 12th, 1990. A letter from my dad to my mom. Seven things, specific items that he needs forgiveness for. We're not going to get into that. I'm not putting my dad on blast. 
November 28th, 1996. This is a letter from my dad. Let me make sure. Yeah. So 96. So I'm 15. I'll just read it. I'm starting this letter to you a little early because I feel it's important for me to take the time needed to tell you what I want to tell you and make it as clear as I can. This is your 16th birthday and a very special time of your life. This is the time you will remember all the rest of your life. And as you've heard me say on more than one occasion, a time that can determine the course of your life. You are fortunate to have a good head on your shoulders. And as I think you know, looks that I'm sure the young ladies find appealing. Which is funny because at 16 I looked like a fucking idiot. and had a giant curly afro. These things will help you as well as cause you to have to think things through more than once. You're a very good young man and you know right from wrong. I feel you will make good decisions in your life and do well. The purpose of this letter is to share with you some of the things I have found to be of real value in my life so far. So hard work. There is no substitute for this, putting into action and bringing to fruition plans that you make. It is easily said, but not so easily done. Making oneself do some of the things we would much rather not do is work. To do this a lot over and over again is hard work. The rewards are worth it. Honesty. Be honest with yourself. This is so very important and with everyone you deal with. Do your best to keep your word. Do what you say you will do. This can be hard work and may get confusing as times, for as you will see, things are not always the way we think they are. Love love is one of life's most precious and powerful emotions. It can cause you not to see things clearly and to make your mind confused. It can bring you great joy and great sorrow, too. Don't be afraid to love, but be prepared to acknowledge that all love will bring some pain, too. Integrity. Try to follow a path through life that keeps you true to your own beliefs. Out of all of those, it's got to be the one that actually stuck with me. I hope this letter will f- help a small bit, for it is basically what Mom and I have tried to teach you while you have been growing up. That is not to say that you will, from this point forward, have complete control of your life, but you will be making decisions within yourself that will affect the rest of your life. I will be here to help when you need it if you ever want to talk just come I'll make time I always curious you know I read this and I see some of it you know like some of the stuff that he tried to get into my head stuck with me you always wonder if other people would see those qualities in me because I don't think they would. Not that I agree that they're all like the qualities you need. So December 15th, 1997. This is from my biological father. So that's what we'll do. Dad and mom will mean grandma and granddad. When it's my mom and my dad, I'll say like my biological dad. Anyway, this is a letter from him uh, stamped on the back of the letter. This came in the mailbox. The Department of Corrections has neither censored 
or inspected this item. Therefore, the department does not assume responsibility for its contents. Geraldine Miro Warden, Allendale Correctional Institution, South Carolina Department of Corrections. Sweet. This is a letter from prison from my dad. Hello, how are you? Myself, I'm doing well as can be expected. Dad has been keeping me pretty well versed on your well-being. How has life been treating you? I'm sorry that I haven't wrote you before now, but I have been keeping pretty busy. And I guess the real reason is that I am pretty ashamed of myself, not only for what I've done, but for how I've treated you and other loved ones in my life. Though I figure you know most of that, having had a ringside stat seat for going on 17 years. Is sorry enough to say? I don't think so. Let's say I don't expect you to forgive me. I don't really think I'm asking you to. Maybe that will come one day in the future. Maybe it won't. I want you to know that I love you very much. Always have. I remember that day you were born as if it was yesterday. I remember how happy your mother and I were. But soon reality crashed in. Reality said we were nothing but children ourselves, knowing that my son will be a human being. Who will God willing be on this earth? God, I don't even want to fucking read this. Long after his mother and I am gone, we've got to teach that person how to think and how to live. The kind of responsibility is scary. You can't just play it being grown-ups. Anyone can father a child, but not everyone can be a dad. This is like copy-paste bullshit. So in order for you to have a good life, a life you deserve, mom and dad raised you in their house as their son. I don't regret that. You are blessed to have grandparents who loved you so much. My regret is that I wasn't man enough to raise you myself, even if I would have the chance that I could have given you the same quality of life would have been slim. And how could I have taught you what you needed to know when I couldn't teach myself? Mom and dad sacrificed a good portion of their lives for you. I'm sure they don't see it that way because they love you so much. So again, I say you are blessed to have them. I'm blessed also because I know that my son was loved and raised as well as could possibly be. I've come a long way with still much further to go. I may never get to where I want to be, but I'll never stop trying. I'm not a bad person. A lot of love inside me. I have trouble dealing with my emotions. I am too impulsive. Don't think of the consequences of all my actions. My life has been dictated by whim and not by logic. When I was your age, I knew everything and I didn't need anyone. I found out rather harshly that I didn't know anything. And now when I need somebody, I have no one. I didn't want to be restrained by going to school, by education. Now I'm restrained by my lack of it. I didn't want to need anyone. I had no time for my family. And now they have no time for me. Ugh. And then he goes, more cliche, you reap what you sow. Nothing is more true and nowhere in this world is there more love, knowledge, and power than in family. I know that right now this may sound kind of dumb or wishy-washy. One day you will see that this is the foundation of your life. I hope you have an excellent Christmas. I would try to send old Santa. But as usual, my fax is down. Though somehow he may remember. So this was 1997. So maybe 2004-ish, 2003, he stole rent money from me and my friends. 
and then showed up a couple months later asking for gas money. So, you know, he writes a good letter and tries to make it sound like he's really, you know, that was his thing. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm getting my shit together. I'm, I'm starting over. I'm trying again over and over and over. Never fucking learn. He's always a shit person. Then, uh, where's this date? November 98. This is a fax from my mom to my dad asking for a divorce, I think for the second time, and then what she wants from the divorce. I don't know how many kids get to see their parents' divorce paperwork. And there's breakdowns of, you know, this and that and this and that and who gets what and who gets what. And then there's basically a response from my dad telling her to go fuck herself. What do we got? Y'all do those high school uh, personality tests. I have a copy here of my... I'm sure that there's a name for these, but it's like they give you the letters. So I got INFP and INFJ. And there's two papers here stapled together. Introverted, intuitive, feeling, and perceiving. And the other one is introverted, intuitive, feeling, and judging. So I'm definitely the first three. And then a mix of perceiving and judging. And then there's some highlighted shit. Uh, let's see. Kind of hard to read. When INFPs are disappointed, they tend to become negative about everything around them. Yeah. Yep. There you go. But then it says they hesitate to criticize others and have a hard time saying no. No, that's, that's not true. They may reflect on an idea much longer than is really necessary to begin. Yeah. They definitely do that. Seldom express the intensity of their feelings and often appear reticent and calm. However, once they know you, they are enthusiastic and warm. They are friendly but tend to avoid superficial socializing. They treasure people who take time to understand their goals and values. Yeah. I don't think it's hard to categorize people by these things, but if I remember right, I took like some test that took hours and asked you all kinds of fucking questions. And then it gives you like this personality profile. Aware of other people's emotions and interests and often deal well with complicated people. Deep complex personalities and can be both sensitive and intense. I don't think I'm very intense. They can be reserved and hard to get to know, but are willing to share their inner, cell, inner cells with people they trust. Then it says they are capable of neglecting routine details that need attention, which sounds like the opposite of me. I don't know. It's kind of cool. I'd like to take one now. And see if I end up getting the same shit. Because like 75% of it sounds right on. 
the other part doesn't sound like me. What we got here? This is my high school transcript. Um. <laughs> all right. I don't think I want to read this whole thing. We'll go. I mean, the classes don't really matter, right? Let's just go starting my freshman year to my graduation. I'll just read my grades. D minus F, D, A, C minus F, B, F, 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 C, C, F, B, C, 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 F, C, F, F, D, A, D, C, D, 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 B, C, B, B. Cumulative GPA, 1.83. Pretty good. You know what that helped me with? Nothing. You know what it would have helped me with if it was better? Nothing. I still went to college just like everybody else. I think, let's see, what is this on the back? I don't know. The BSAP? Remember that shit? Do they still do that? This is from middle school. Um, I don't know what these scores mean, though. It's not the SATs. But that's the kind of grades you get in high school when you don't do a single piece of work the entire year. No homework, no projects, just absolutely nothing. For the entire semester. That's what you end up with. But I still graduated. Just like all y'all. Well, not all y'all. Some of y'all didn't graduate. I got a Spring Valley High School Certificate of Recognition. This day, May 20th, 1999, is awarded to Sean Cooper for being the most original. Didn't get me very far. What do we got here? All right. Uh, I think that this is something that my friend Greg wrote. I don't think I wrote this. This seems like... God, this shit's embarrassing. Um, but I'm just going to read it to you anyway. I'm sure some of y'all with your stupid-ass humor. All right, here we go. I swear, I, I, this isn't, I, didn't, I didn't write this. I mean, I hope I didn't write this. Maybe if you think it's funny, then I wrote it. But if you think it's fucking cringy, then I didn't. It's even hard to fucking say it. I like monkeys. The pet store was selling them for five cents a piece. I thought this was odd since they were normally a couple thousand. I decided not to look a gift horse in the mouth, so I bought 200 of them. I took my 200 monkeys home. I have a big car. I let one of them drive. His name was Sigmund. He was retarded. In fact, none of them were really bright. They kept punching themselves in the genitals. <laughs> I laughed. They punched me in the genitals. I stopped laughing. I herded them into my room. They didn't adapt very well to their new environment. They would screech and hurl themselves off the couch at high speeds and slam into the wall. Although humorous at first, the spectacle lost its novelty halfway into its third hour. 
Two hours later, I found out why all the monkeys were so inexpensive. They all died. No apparent reason. They all just sort of dropped dead. Kind of like when you buy a goldfish and it dies five hours later. Goddamn cheap monkeys. They didn't know what to do. There were 200 dead monkeys lying all over my room, on the bed, and the dresser, hanging from my bookcase. It looked like I had 200 throw rugs. I tried to flush one down the toilet. It didn't work. It got stuck. Then I had... I'm embarrassed to laugh at that. Then I had one dead wet monkey and 199 dead dry monkeys. I tried to pretend that they were just stuffed animals. That worked for a while until they began to decompose. It started to smell real bad. I had to pee, but there was a dead monkey in my toilet, and I didn't want to call a plumber. I was embarrassed. I tried to slow down the decomposition by freezing them. Fortunately, there was only enough room for two at a time, so I had to change them every 30 seconds. I also had to eat all the food in the freezer, so it didn't go bad. I tried to burn them, but little did I know that my bed was flammable. I had to extinguish the fire. Then I had one dead wet monkey in my toilet, two dead frozen monkeys in my freezer, 197 dead charred monkeys in a pile on my bed. I became agitated at my inability to dispose of the dead monkeys, and I really had to use the bathroom, so I went and severely beat one of the monkeys. I felt better. I tried throwing them away, but the garbage man said the city was not allowed to dispose of charred primates. I told him I had a wet one. He couldn't take it either. I didn't bother asking about the frozen ones. I finally arrived at a solution. I gave them out as Christmas gifts. My friends didn't quite know what to say. They pretended to like them, but I could tell they were lying, so I punched them in the genitals. This dude that I believe wrote this was my best friend through high school. And we don't really talk at all anymore. He was one of my best friends for probably three years after high school, too. You know, sometimes shit just... I could do a whole podcast about all the best friends I've had and then all the shit that went wrong with our friendships. So then I got a prom photograph with this girl, Melissa, that I don't think I ever talked to again after that. Then I got a prom photo with the girl I lost my virginity to whose husband recently killed himself. So that's, that's good. It's good news. I got another letter from prison. This one is June 99. So right after I graduated, it is not even a page long. Hey bud, how's it going? Congratulations on your graduation. You did real good. Very proud of you. (laughs) Someone may call this summer from here to verify my address. Please confirm this for me. Very important. Hope you have a great vacation. School's out, my man. Take care of yourself. I may try to call one day. That's that's what it says. What's in here? Oh, and then inside here is a ticket stub for Vans Warp Tour 98. I guess I just fell in there. Warp Tour used to be the shit. That's a joke. 
I got some IDs in here. Uh, my high school ID. At my high school, we had to wear our IDs, like ID cards, like you're an FBI agent. Like you had to have a badge on you to show that you went to school. And you had to wear it around your neck all the time. And then I got a Midlands Technical College ID and a Mesa State College ID. Then I got, uh, looks like a door key for Disney World. And a door key for Circus Circus, which I don't remember ever going to Circus Circus. It's like the stupidest hotel in Vegas. But I guess I stayed there. And then I have a membership card for the Guar Fan Club. It is my certificate of slavery. I am number 565. Because I am hereby declared a slave of Guar and therefore surrender complete and total sovereignty over all life, limb, soul, and offspring. Furthermore, I acknowledge Guar as the supreme masters of all mankind and shall obey the word of Guar until death do us part. This document secures my corpse a position at the top of the heap. I've had this thing for 25 years, maybe. Remember, I paid like $60 to join like a fan club. Then I got these drawings. It's going to be kind of hard to describe. Um, it's me and a friend Greg that I believe wrote the monkey story and my friend Will and our heads are on sticks and there's a goat on top of a hill and it's entitled Revenge of the Goat. And then I got this other one for like this record label that we started, uh, Sasquatch Records. We actually had a couple bands, and we did like a uh, like a compilation album. This was in like 2000, late 99, and it's like a hand with like a nuclear blast going off, and it says. In Sean, we trust. Back when I used to have friends. Okay, moving on. I got a flyer for the band I was in. Back when you used to have to take your flyers and like staple them to walls and telephone poles and shit for the internet. I wish I had more shit from that time point in my life. What's this? This is from February 2002. This is from my mom. I've been thinking about you a lot since we last spoke, so I thought I'd write to you because the telephone is a bit difficult as I never know how free you are to talk. Sean, you know that I love you and I miss you incredibly. I miss our lunches together. I miss your hugs. I miss having you close by. I am, however, okay about your being in Colorado going to school 
and I'm very proud of you for making that decision. It must not have been easy and took courage to pull up stakes from the place where you were born and had lived all your life. It took maturity to recognize that you needed to make a change from the way things were going for you to do something constructive about it. I was so scared about your driving all that way alone, but you handled it beautifully and called me to help with my worries just as you promised. You might find as you are getting used to things there that you might have some different viewpoints or needs from those you must interact with, whether at school, work, or home. Try to hear and understand the other person's point of view as well as your own and respect that point of view even if you don't agree while still having respect for yourself. I'm not meaning to lecture you at all, Sean. You're all grown up. And don't need lectures. Just want to encourage you in what you're doing. Pat you on the back for what you've done. Tell you I love you and believe in you. Keep calling me. But if you need to talk to me about any concerns. Go to a payphone and call me collect. Which used to be a thing. You didn't have a cell phone. You had to go to a payphone. And if you didn't have a quarter. You could call the operator. And they could call the person. That you were trying to call. And they could charge that person for your phone call. The thing that really stands out here is her telling me to try to understand the other person's point of view and respect that point of view, even if you don't agree. Which is like the basis of the entire podcast. You know, the, the Chicken Broccoli podcast, but also the Troubled Helix podcast. If any of y'all know what's going on with my mom, it kind of makes a little more, makes a little more sentimental. So I have these two short stories that I printed out. It looks like they're from America Online. So I don't know, like a blog. They're not mine. Um, but I kept them for... Where's the date? July 2002. So I've kept them for 20 years. I know somebody's going to be irritated if I just say that I have them and not read them. Uh, all right, fuck it. Be interested to see if you guys like hearing me read to you or not. This one's called All Grass the Same. Pirate bones knocked their heads together as the warm deep tide kept time to the ageless song of the sea. A song about vastness and rage, power and peace. The complex, impossible, confounding shrug of God's shoulders. Fish float sleeping, their gills working as they dream of evolution on the other side. They wake angry and jealous of the frogs and swim away, not knowing that the frogs wake with nostalgic memories of the old country. The frogs crouch silently blinking, sad that they belong wholly to neither world. Their memories cloud the recognition of the beauty around them. They are blind to the cool fabric of moss that covers the wet rocks of their stream, 
which diligently works on cutting a valley for its grandchildren. The frogs only have eyes for their past, and they scan the coastline for time's outstretched arms calling them back. Sometimes they want to see that mirage so badly, and their yearning is so strong that they cause the giant magnet of nature's past to raise out of the ocean and call them back. The believers jump with joy and conviction off their perches to tumble down the strict and rocky slope of their stream coming to a last halt with the hopeful smile of home on their lips and their blood seeping into their mother's arms. The past is a hospitable host for its guests, but will never let you back for good. The stream takes on traces of the blood of the hopeful and carries out the last request and delivers at least the essence of the frogs back to before the beginning. The drops of blood spill out into the ocean and dilute infinitely until the whole ocean contains it. The fish breathe deeply, taking it in and making it a part of themselves, using it as inspiration and hope that they will someday live the good life on dry land. The sleeping fish waits grout wakes grouchy again and swims uninspired to check on her ripe eggs who have been waiting for the other side themselves. She watches with the mother's pride the miraculous unfolding of the eggs as they perform the simple and amazing origami of life. As she started their life lessons, she saw one of her creatures float away from the rest and disappear into a shaft of yellow light which led to the surface. She went after him and caught glimpses of unknown appendages and swam faster, her fear rising. At the surface, she looked up and saw the disgusting trick that nature had played on her. The repulsive limbs kicked and splashed to keep the monster's head above the water. There were no gills and no fins, and the body was out of proportion, a blaspheme of its parents. The creature, her offspring, was terrifying to her, and in her rage at the way the world worked her over, she took hold of a leg and dragged the freak furiously under the water. It kicked and screamed, and bubbles poured out of its wide mouth, but it was weak and still by the time its mother reached the sandy bottom. Only then did she let go, and watch with hatred as the ocean that had left her unnoticed lifted the monstrosity, its gift, up and away. Feels weird to just read shit. I remember this one. This one's called She's So Lovely. I'm in a twisted mood, smoking cigarettes down into my feet, gulping wine like it is blood. I'm trying to successfully describe love as it is, not this fucking pussy-ass bullshit romantic flowerly love, but real love. Love the forts of nature. Love as the evil joke that only gets played on the lucky unfortunates who happen to trip over it. There's nothing constructive about love. It's a fucking wrecking ball. It wrecks like a big brainless iron sphere, breaking down beautiful, well-planned, sturdy buildings for no other reason than that's what it's there for. Yeah, there's another side to it, but that is not love's paramount goal. It strives for nothing so good and simple. It's just not in its character. Support, togetherness, kindness, tenderness, understanding, all the rest, you can have that without love. Love is one step higher of the above the best, or one step lower beneath the worst. Both at the same time. Love is beyond insanity, it is insanity with no hard evidence. 
with nothing you can put your hands on to explain it. Real love has no course of rehabilitation, and those infected would fight any help until death. Love is a weary wagon hauling nitroglycerin over a pitted dirt road. I'm awed by the crushing power of it. I'm astounded by the way something with no hands and no muscle can crush your throat without even trying. Those who are really in love, those who know what it is, know that it's a hungry, sharp-toothed mouth that will gnaw the meat of you until it is full, and it never is, and we are bound and gagged and couldn't struggle even if we wanted to, and do not want to sometime, and motherfucker, that really pisses me off when I fucking can't read. And do want to sometimes, but can't because we want to be consumed, because letting yourself be eaten is the only noble thing life has to offer. It's the only reason to keep your veins closed beneath your skin. The giving up of all reason traded for this wispy thing that is as heavy and real as all the steel ships in the world and is as invisible as the shadow of a laughing ghost in our dark room. That after being cut to pieces and left on a dry warehouse floor, our dead eyes would roll around picking up dirt and find each other and come to life. Mine to look into yours, yours to look into mine, and from that look would be given frozen life again. That I could kill you, and I've tried, and your corpse would stand up and throw its arms around me. That you could kill me, and you've tried, and my corpse would find a way to press its mouth to yours. That it is pompous and stupid to think that any of it is our choice. That it's laughable to pretend that we found each other, or that we fell in love. It was already there. We met and discovered it like finding a secret tunnel that connects two separate cities. From there you can flood the tunnel, fill it with dirt, or rip it to shreds, but it doesn't matter. Because the two cities now know how to get to each other, have seen each other's twinkling lights, breathtaking skylines, the violent parts of town, the poverty and homelessness, and they all go through the rest of their existence trying to join. For no other reason, that's just the way it fucking is. Saying that is like pressing a gun into the roof of my mouth while dancing dressed to kill in a high ceiling ballroom. You don't know which way it's going to go. You don't know if the top of your head is going to come apart to shower the floor with the colors of what you were, or if you're going to get to finish the dance and clap politely to the band until the next song. You just don't give a shit either way. You want either one because that is the way weak, brave, and uninspired humans are built. It actually says weak, brave, and inspired, but either one works. That is the way people who want the thin slice of meaning life has to offer are forced to act. I'm curious if most people out there think, is love the reason? that we live is that the driving force behind our existence is that the one thing that we experience that other animals don't like is that what makes us is that what separates us do you have a full a full fulfilled life without love i'm sure people do money Money fixes it. Here's another letter from my dad. Uh, March 16th, 2003. 
Sean, you're standing in line for the bus when we left. I was missing you then as I am now. There are things that a father has a hard time saying at a time like that, so I thought I would write this note to say what I should have said to you then. First, you know I love you and I'm very proud of you. I know you will do well with your life and make of it what you want. Remember a few things as you go through your life. They will always make you more content within yourself. So what is this, a couple, three years after the previous letter? No, that was when I was 16. So this is like six years later. Always be true to yourself. Don't be misled by your ego. Always be kind, which I feel you are. Love the animals. They are the ones you can trust to be consistent. Always be yourself. What you are is what they get. Always be honest with yourself, which you are. Always remember your mother's birthday, March 15th. It's a big thing with her. Always do your best. You'll feel better about yourself that way. Listen to your critics, but make your own judgment as to what is true. Don't hold grudges, for you're the only one that is harmed by doing so. Control your anger. It is very hard to do sometimes. I wish I could do it better. Most important, be happy about what you're doing and plan things that make you happy. If you want to make a good impression, smile. Take any or all of these things to heart. It was most difficult to say goodbye last evening. I don't, I don't know what this is about. 2003, standing in line for the bus. And this has got to be one of the times that I left Colorado to go back to South Carolina. You have a good head on your shoulders, and even though things may be a bit confusing at the moment, you'll get them straight very soon and choose a path for your life to follow. You're a very good and strong young man now, and I am sure that you'll continue to grow even stronger as time goes on. Please don't worry about things. Just decide what you want to do and set out to do it. You'll be successful in whatever you decide. Yeah, you should see the amount of people listening to this podcast. It may take a bit of work, things you don't like doing, but the end result will be what you want. Just remember, life is not fair, nor it is, is it sometimes nice, but always make the best of it and smile. Yeah, and then it's like, here's my new address in Florida. So this is when he left, because he moved to Florida. Yeah. So he moved out here when I was in high school. I moved out here when I graduated, which was like 2001. I moved out here, I think. And then in 2003, he left and moved to Florida. And he's been in Florida ever since. I got a certificate here. This is such an old part of my life. I don't even think most people know this. This is from 2004, the Association of Professional Piercers. Um, received the following education related to body piercing, bloodborne pathogens, body anatomy, facial oral anatomy. 
there's like a yearly conference in Vegas every year for all this piercing related shit. And I did body piercing for like five years. And then I have this, I guess it's my old portfolio. All this shit's on Instagram now. But this was like my actual printed out photographs of piercings and stuff that I did. It's just kind of cool to look back on, I guess. But it's very hard to make a living at it. But it is cool to see that I did some weird shit to people. Touched a lot of nasty genitals. What's this? This is some stupid ass like movie that my friends and I were gonna make. I'm not reading that. It's fucking dumb. What's this? Oh, here's my receipt for personal property confiscated by Mesa County Sheriff's Office. Uh, October 16th, 2006. The sh- I got arrested. We can talk about that sometime if you all want. I went to jail. Well, I didn't go to jail. I went to, like, the holding cell overnight. I didn't actually go to, like, the jail. Well, let's see. They took my shirt, my socks, my shoes... My belt, my hat, some green and brown candy. What the fuck candy is green and brown? Green and whatever. My key, my ID, my watch, my cell phone, knife, wallet, one, two, three, four, piercing, jewelry, and a dollar sixty-five in cash. It was a good time. Really enjoyed that. I guess, I mean, it's not a secret. I I rented a bunch of games from like a Blockbuster. It wasn't a Blockbuster, but like some video store. And forgot about it and never fucking took them back. And never crossed my mind again. And then years later, I find out that I had a warrant for theft. Like they charged me with theft of the games and I got fucking pulled over for like a tail light being out and it pops up that there's a warrant for me and they fucking arrest me on the spot and take me to jail. For not returning movies. It's bullshit. I think they have to do that so they can file with their insurance company and they can get paid back the money. So And then I got some paperwork here from the Mesa State Mavericks football team. Um, Like their playbook and their offensive and defensive philosophies. I just thought this shit was cool to have. I did play football there for one year. So I just kind of threw it in my box as like a reminder I don't know if this is, like, exciting to read. But, you know, like, the scri- the football scribble shit that you see? Like, it's just a bunch of that shit. The lineup and the formation and the plays. There's a lot of... There's a lot of typos in here, too. I guess that's not surprising, coming from the football program. Oh, 
I mean, for anybody that's interested. No, this shit's really not interesting. Never mind. Y'all let me know if you want to hear the secrets of the Mesa State football program from 2006. And I'll read it to you. All right, I got another. Another letter from my dad. This one doesn't have a date on it, but I know that it's later than the last one. God damn. I received your letter yesterday. So I guess I wrote him a letter. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and feelings with me. As you are aware, there are many changes that life brings us. And in fact, in life, there are a few things that we can count on and change is one of them. I doubt that you realize how hard it was for me to leave Colorado without you, but because an education is so important to your future, I felt that's what I should do. I'm very proud of you and the way you are continuing with the schooling, even if it was just for the money at first. I think I now detect something besides the money keeping you going. I got like a full scholarship plus like spending money. It's supposed to be like money to pay your rent and shit, you know, like board, even though I didn't stay on campus. But once I started giving it to me, it was like, oh shit, I'll, yeah, I'll keep going to school. I think I got tuition plus like five grand a semester as a, you know, not a student loan, but as a scholarship. I know that contemplating one's present situation as well as the past and the future is important. It allows for planning, guidance, healing, and evaluation. But it's important to realize that how one views his own thoughts and the value one places on the different ones is a matter of personal choice. We have the ability to change our thoughts and feelings, and it is important that we make the thoughts and feelings work for us to help us progress toward what we want out of our lives. Sometimes this is the hardest task of all, trying to form a picture of what we want to become and what we want from our lives. It is part of the process of maturing, leaving the past memories behind and moving forward. It's a very, very difficult task. It is nice to have the memories to look back on and to remember just how nice they were. But remember, even then, there were times that things were not happy. There was hurt then, too. But remember that with the time, the bad things tend to be forgotten and the good things tend to become larger than they really were. Absolutely not the case for me. My dad was one of those choose happiness. I mean, he says it right here. Like, you have the ability to change your thoughts and feelings. I mean, if you're changing what your feeling is, then that's not how you really feel. You changed it to something else. And in previous letters, he was like, always be honest with yourself. If you're being honest with yourself, you can't change your feeling. You, you feel a way, and that's how you feel. Telling yourself that you feel a different way isn't changing it. It's just trying to, like, lie to yourself. And then remember, with the bad things tend to be forgotten, and the good things tend to become larger than they really were, that's the opposite. The bad things don't get forgotten. The bad things get super fucking huge. And the good things disappear. I don't remember the good things. I remember the bad things. I've forgotten the good. 
Oh, here he, here he says it again. Being happy or sad is a choice. We make it, and sometimes we are not even aware of doing it. I know this firsthand as I had to make the decision to be happy and not let life with its ups and downs get to me. We all sometimes wonder, what if I had done things differently? Would I have been able to prevent that change? It is not, in my opinion, a good thing to dwell on the past and fruitless thought, for there is nothing we can do about it. However, we can try to learn from it. Making the decision to enjoy it was one of the biggest decisions I have made. I made that decision when you were very small. It was one of the reasons I got involved in soccer. He was a huge soccer coach, soccer dude. Both parenting and genetics make the person... I must have said something about this shit when I wrote to him. Genetics provide the platform for the impressions that life puts on us. If you could take two identical beings and run them through different rearing processes, you would have two different individuals. I am pleased that you feel we did a good job, but remember we both had Kevin and Susan to practice on. Susan was... My dad's adopted sister. My biological father's. Does that make sense? You received benefits from that experience. You were also exposed to some not too good experiences because of the divorce. I expect that people come to you from almost all walks of life and that you are getting exposed to a good cross-section of the population. Don't be too surprised about how people act. Remember that for the most part, drugs and alcohol are ways for people to escape what they feel is very stressful, boring, or purposeless life. It takes a lot of understanding to begin to see that many times what we feel is so very important is important, but not to the degree that we may have assigned to it. Perhaps you may realize that even in your experience, things are not always as important as they once were. These are nice to recall, but do not dwell on them, for they are in the past and cannot be relived. It is necessary to go to new experiences, and those are not easily found. That's why Joni's got it so fucking easy, because they're all new experiences. She's cheating. She's cheating at life. It is possible to be happy, not totally content almost anywhere and in almost all situations. This is a matter of making up your mind to be happy, but happy, not totally content, but happy and enjoying life. Life is what we make of it. For the record, having you come into my life was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Very proud of you, and I know that you will make a life for yourself that will make you happy. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. It's been nine years since you wrote this. And then he makes a joke, even if you have to take some of the hardware out of your face. Well, it's all gone, and it didn't help. You'll come to have goals and work towards them. And that alone can bring great satisfaction. Don't be too hard on people. You will find many during your life that are worthy of your friendship. If I remember right, I was having one of my more more depressed moments. You know, it comes and goes. 
And I think I wrote a letter to him talking about how sad and depressed and jaded and bored I was. And basically he wrote back to me and said, just choose to be happy. Thanks for that. It didn't help. You're like a very helpful person. And I think that a lot of what you said is very true. And you make a lot of good points. And you have a lot of insightful shit to say. But it ends at the choose happiness part. It goes a little bit beyond that. So then I got a... March 2007... Uh, I don't know, a newspaper article about my dad. About a sculpture that he did in Delta, which is in Colorado. Um, but this is from a Florida newspaper. I guess it's just about him in general. But that's pretty cool. What's this? Uh, I'll just read the short little part. Cooper said he carved the dolphin in his yard from the stump of a tree that was destroyed in a hurricane. The piece stands more than 10 feet tall. Cooper's other works entail a relief sculpture and marble art of a pregnant woman who is kneeling. He said he gave the latter sculpture to his daughter. Cooper said he plans to turn the marble into a unicorn. Okay. Cooper also has a son and a grandson. He moved from Colorado to Florida four years ago because he doesn't like cold weather. Soccer, soccer, soccer. Yeah, well. I don't remember this. When did they do this? Cooper said he and DeVitt, that's his girlfriend, traveled to England and Paris last year where they visited the Louvre. Louvre? The Louvre? Where they, say, where they saw art featuring... That's a weird sentence. King David. There they also saw Da Vinci's... This, this article sucks. I'm not reading it anymore. Whoever wrote it sucks. Is there a, is there a writer on this? It's the Palatka Daily News. Patrick, no, that's who took the picture. Jennifer, Jennifer Thomas, you suck. Your writing sucks. That's why you work at the fucking Palatka Daily News. Ah, oh, what do we got here? What is this? Emergency stat call report. ER, chest pain, findings. Portable views of the chest demonstrate no pulmonary nodules or infectious infiltrates. The cardiac silhouette and mediastinal lines are within normal limits. Impression, no cardiopulmonary disease. This is 
March 24th, 2008. March 25th, 2008. There's another emergency physician record. Chest pain. Worsened by exertion, relieved by rest. Onset during light activity. Similar symptoms previous. Heart pain. Recently seen by a doctor, yes. March 31st, 2008. The physician feels that a significant portion of your health problem is being caused by calls, caused by anxiety. Anxiety affects your health in many ways. Anxiety alone can cause palpitations, sweats, chest pains, abdominal pain, shortness of breath, and headaches. Contributes to ulcer disease, high blood pressure, irritable bowel syndrome. Has been shown to cause flare-ups of many other diseases. Not a simple disorder to treat. If the anxiety is due to recent life stresses, you may simply need time to work through the changes. If the anxiety is due to underlying happiness with yourself or due to psychiatric disturbance, professional help will be needed. And then a prescription for benzodiazepine this is not me this is my dad my biological father and then here we go April 4th 2008 two weeks after going to the ER for chest pain final pathologic diagnosis arteriosclerotic cardiovascular disease Focal severe occlusion of the left anterior descending coronary artery. Moderate occlusion of the less left circumflex coronary artery. Pulmonary congestion. Cause of death in this 47-year-old man is attributed to arteriosclerotic cardiovascular disease with no indications otherwise. So that is my dad's autopsy. And then his obituary. Kevin was born in Hamilton, Ohio, but raised in Columbia, South Carolina. He absolutely loved the western United States. His passions were rocks, mountains, and archaeology. It's not true at all. Whoever fucking wrote this. Rocks, mountains, and archaeology. Can you say rocks and archaeology separately? It's like saying the same thing twice. And a mountain is just a rock. It's like the same thing three times. Kevin and his wife managed the High Desert RV Park in Winnemucca for the past two years. He was a devoted husband and best friend for his seven-year-old son. Now notice that in 2008, I was not seven. And in 2008, I was 27. But no mention of me here. Just his seven-year-old son. Memorial gathering is being held for all who wish to attend. Cool. That's great. Kind of weird that he went in to the ER for chest pain and they said nothing's wrong. And then two weeks later, he dies of chest pain. So I got a handwritten card. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Love, Coda, to Grandpa. This is a letter from Kevin's kid, my half-brother, to my dad. 
Oh, this is fucking sad. And says, thank you for the card. I love you and miss you. Where was dad born? Did he like baseball? I miss him. Can you come here someday? Do you like bears? My nickname is Coda Bear. And then there's a drawing of the sun with two little stick people. And it says dad and me. I don't know what year this is from, but it looks like it's from like a four-year-old. Well, that's not fair. We just, I just read the obituary and the kid was seven. So maybe he's like eight. I'm not going to say he looks like a, he writes like a four-year-old. It's got to be weird to be a kid and be like eight and your dad dies. Pretty weird to be a kid and never see your dad for 20 years too. So one time his name is Dakota. That's his full name. He contacted me on Facebook and he wanted to know about his dad. And I think at this point he was like in his early teens. And I mean, I guess he doesn't have a lot of memories of his dad because he was seven when he died. But he wanted to ask all these questions about what was my dad like? What did you, you know, what were your experiences with him? And I told him that, like, I'll talk to him as much as he wants about our dad, but that I wasn't going to sugarcoat the shit for him. And I wasn't going to misrepresent how Kevin was. And I mean... I got, I had nothing good to say about him. So I started telling him about like all the times that he stole from me and all of the shitty things that he did to me and all the times that he stood me up and said he would come around and didn't. And I guess he just didn't want to hear it because he didn't continue asking me about his dad after that. He's probably like fucking 20 years old now. So seven in 2008. Well, yeah. Fuck. Like a 20-year-old kid now. I didn't hear from him after that. Is that shitty? I mean, he's... He's part of my family, I guess. But it's easy to be part of somebody's family. When... Like, in that... In that sense of family. Like, all we share similar... DNA. That's a reach for me to think that, oh, we have the same dad, so that means something. It doesn't really mean shit. Did we grow up together? Do we have history together? I did live with that, with Dakota, from the time he was like one year old to maybe two years old. So, I mean, I had that experience with him, but... I don't know. Then I got a packet full of paper here from bankruptcy that I filed. What's the, what's the date on this? I don't want to I don't want to dig through here just to find a date. But January 23rd, 2012. I had to file bankruptcy because I had my gallbladder removed and they fucked up the operation 
and I had $110,000 of medical debt. And I started garnishing my wages. Like 25% of my wages were going to the hospital. And I was like, nope, I'm not doing that. It cost me $1,800 to file bankruptcy. And it wiped out every single penny of my debt. And now I have a credit score in the high 700s. So go fuck yourself, government. Any of y'all out there that have debt or credit problems, just do bankruptcy. I don't know why people look down on it. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It means that our system is fucked up. And that's not your fault, and you shouldn't be held accountable for it. Erase your debt. Just get out of it. Even if you just have, I don't know, say you got 10 grand in credit card debt, you can escape that for two grand. Just get it out and get it out. Get rid of it. Don't be ashamed of it. It's not like it gets tattooed on your forehead. No one fucking knows that you did it. I got a postcard from December 2012 from my friend Brittany. She had sent me a postcard from New York, like a big King Kong postcard in 2000. I don't, I don't know. 2000, maybe 99, maybe. Um, so she went back to New York in 2012. And so I guess she just sent me another postcard. Not reading what it says. a lot of empty space on this podcast but it's part of the experience and just letting it sink in letting you fully digest May 2014 certificate of appointment of guardian this is to certify that Sean Neil Cooper is the duly qualified guardian in the above matter and that this appointment having been executed on the ninth day of May 2014, is now in effect. Pursuant to South Carolina Code, as amended, Sean Cooper is hereby appointed guardian for Grace Patricia O'Neill with all powers and duties as set forth therein or as granted by an order of the court to include but not limited to the authority to make decisions about medical care, psychiatric care, living arrangements, and health care for Grace Patricia O'Neill. Grace Patricia O'Neill is to be involved as much as possible in her healthcare decision-making process. And then, you know, it's just saying that this is just official paperwork that I am my mom's legal guardian. Uh, Then I got this little piece of paper that says, To you, Daddy. And it says, I love you, Daddy, inside. And has a little 
heart drawing. Then I have a construction paper card that says Happy Father's Day. I love Daddy, you're the best. From Lily to Daddy. It's a wonderful memory to look back on. And then I have a picture of Spider-Man like out of a coloring book that Lily drew. Well, she didn't draw it. It's a coloring book, but she colored it. She colored it like a little six-year-old would color something with all kinds of fucked up lines. But she got all the colors right. And I have the Spider-Man tattoo. An exact copy of it. Tattooed on my... On, on my leg. It's also a long story that we don't have time for. Then I got another drawing from her. This one just says turtle. So Mike, you wanted uh, you wanted this podcast to be about turtles. So I got a turtle in here. It's a drawing of a turtle with the word turtle and then an arrow pointing to the turtle. Hard to tell if it's a red-eared or a yellow-eared slider. But it's a turtle. Children don't see color. You know? Children are born innocent. I wish I had more of that shit. I'll tell you that. I could take a lot more involvement with those kids. It's a weird feeling for somebody to call you their dad. And then for them to not call you their dad anymore. Or to not have somebody calling you that at all. But I guess along those lines, I have a bag here with about four or five baby teeth in it. Because, you know, I told Dale that I was going to collect teeth and bones. And so I started. I got some teeth. But these are teeth that I took from under... Lily's pillow. You know, you put the five bucks or whatever. How much do y'all give from the tooth fairy? What's 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 normal? But it seemed weird to just throw them away. And it's kind of like I mean, it's weird. I got teeth in a bag, but that's all I got. So I'll take some teeth over nothing. And then I got one tiny, tiny, tiny tooth, which has got to be one of Luna's teeth. It's so little. But it's in a separate bag from the others. And then I have a little clamp that babies leave the hospital with on their umbilical cord which if you haven't had children you know you I I cut Luna's umbilical cord in the hospital the day she was born 
and they put this little clamp on the part of the umbilical cord that is still attached to her. And they said, just leave this on. And in a couple of days, like the umbilical cord will die and fall off, which I didn't know was a thing. But like, there's this little like inch and I don't know, inch and a half long cords poking out of your baby that rots and turns black and dies and falls off. I didn't keep that part, but I did keep the clamp that was around it. And then all that kind of disappeared. That was 2017. The next thing I got chronologically is a map of Tokyo, like a physical fold out city map and an international driving permit and a Japan rail pass giving you free travel across the country on the trains. I have a business card from TNA Ishigaki. I don't know why I kept this, but on the back, apparently what the store sells is treasure maps and chainsaw art. So maybe that's why I kept it. There is no website on the card I tell you all to go look it up but treasure maps and chainsaw art and then I got a Polaroid photograph of me and some people that I don't know riding go-karts in front of the Tokyo Sky Tree and it says thank you for coming to Marikar Akihabara we hope you enjoyed it and join us again which I fucking tried to, but I'm not allowed to go there. Then I have a wedding invitation from the girl that sent me the postcard from New York. One of my best friends, the only girl I've ever been engaged to. I got a wedding invitation to go to her wedding that I was not a part of. I'm not bitter about it. It's just interesting how things work out sometimes. Definitely, just to be clear, not bitter about it. We are both very different people than when we met. And I can't imagine how it would have worked out with how I am now and with how she is now. She's got two kids. She looks very happy, so more power to her, and I hope that she continues to be happy. From that point, I have a map or a guidebook of Denali National Park in Alaska. And that's kind of the new... phase of my life 
feel like I've gone through, you know, everybody has the school phase. So I, I did the high school phase, which is basically the same as the middle school and elementary school. Like, you're just that kid. You're just a kid. And then I did, I'm going to play in a band stage. And then I did the, I'm going to go to college phase. Then I did the, I'm going to do professional body piercing. Then I'm going to work at GameStop. Then I got a business card here. McAllister's Deli, Sean Cooper, manager, McAllister's Deli of Rock Hill. I got another business card, Sean Cooper, personal trainer, Gold's Gym, Montrose. I don't know if everybody's life feels that it's separated by just chunks of years. And each chunk of year is completely unrelated to other chunks of year. To the, to the point where me in one of these phases wouldn't even know me in one of the other phases. And they almost have very little in common with each other. And there's almost no running like overlap of like I didn't get a job and then get promoted in that job and then get promoted in that job and then leave that company to do the same job somewhere else. It's like significantly different jobs, significantly different people in my life every seven or eight years it's just here's a completely new thing it has nothing to do with where you've been and it's not going to be the same as where you've where you're going to go but I went to Alaska in 2019 2020 and that's you know it's the last thing I have in the box but it's also I'm still in that part the traveling seeing things going places I finally found somebody that I can do this shit with in a stress-free, relaxing, very easy-going way. I'm very appreciative of that. But it does make you wonder, you know, I got, I got notes and cards. You know, I left some super personal shit out, but I got anniversary cards and birthday cards from the fucking 50s the 60s in here from my parents where they were completely and totally in love and knew where their life was going and knew what they wanted out of it and that shit didn't work out I've got personal 
letters and postcards from people that I've had relationships with. And now, you know, they're married. They have kids with other people. You'd like to think that the phase that you're in is the phase that you're going to remain in. But I don't, I don't know if it works that way. You do have to just appreciate it while you're in it. I know that I, I used to be stuck with the rose tinted glasses and always looking back and thinking it was, it was better before it was better before. And I think that when I was truly depressed, that's where my brain was, was always looking back and looking back. I don't really do that anymore, but not doing that hasn't really fixed anything because looking forward has got just as much uncertainty and just as much bad shit in it as life does when you look back. You just fuck all of it. Just enjoy now. Like, like Tenju said, if you listen to the Buddhist episode, just now, now, now. That's all that you get. I, I think that a lot of the episodes that I've done or that I've done with other people have really, that seems to be what keeps coming up. At least it's what's coming up out of me. You, you don't have time. I feel like I have to drive this point home. Because I do hear from y'all. I do hear from you in person. I hear from you through Patreon. I hear from you, you know, through the phone. I'm not accusing you. But some of y'all aren't doing it. Whatever you're doing right now, if you won't look back on it in five years and feel like you were doing exactly what you wanted to do, it's just time that you wasted now, now, 